0: EPILOGUE CHAPTER 2 OF THE MYSTERIES OF PARIS VOLUME 6 BY Eugène Sue. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. THE PRINCESS AMÉLIE PART 1 The apartment of Fleur-de-Marie, we only call her the Princess Amélie officially, had been, by Rodolphe's orders, splendidly furnished. From the balcony of the oratory, the two towers of the convent of Saint-Hermengeld were visible, which embosomed in the woods, were in their turn overtopped by a high hill at the foot of which the abbey was built. One fine summer's morning, Fleur de Marie gazed listlessly at this splendid landscape. Her hair was plainly braided, and she wore a high, white dress with blue stripes. A large muslin collar was fastened around her throat by a small, blue silk handkerchief of the same hue as her sash. Seated in a large armchair of carved ebony, she lent her head on her small and delicately white hand, Fleur-de-Marie's attitude and expression of her face showed that she was a prey to the deepest melancholy. At this instant, a female of a grave and distinguished appearance entered the room and coughed gently to attract Fleur-de-Marie's attention. She started from her reverie, and gracefully acknowledging the salutation of the newcomer, said, What is it, my dear Countess? I come to inform you, Your Royal Highness, that the Grand Duke will be here in a few minutes, and also to ask a favor of you. Ask it. YOU KNOW HOW HAPPY I AM TO OBLIGE YOU. IT CONCERNS AN UNHAPPY CREATURE WHO HAD UNFORTUNATELY QUITTED GEROLSTEIN BEFORE YOUR ROYAL HIGHNESS HAD FOUNDED THE ASYLUM FOR ORPHANS AND CHILDREN ABANDONED BY THEIR PARENTS. WHAT DO YOU WISH I SHOULD DO FOR HER? THE FATHER WENT TO SEEK HIS FORTUNE IN AMERICA, LEAVING HIS WIFE AND DAUGHTER TO GAIN A PRECARIOUS subsistence. THE MOTHER DIED, AND THIS POOR GIRL, THEN ONLY SIXTEEN, WAS seduced AND ABANDONED. SHE FELL LOWER AND LOWER, until at length she became, like so many others, the opprobrium of her sex. Fleur de Marie turned red and shuddered. The Countess, fearing she had wounded the delicacy of the Princess by the mention of this girl's condition, replied, I pray Your Royal Highness to pardon me. I have doubtless shocked you by speaking of this wretched creature, but her repentance seemed so sincere that I ventured to plead for her. You were quite right. Pray, continue, said Fleur de Marie, subduing her emotion. Every fault is worthy of pity when followed by repentance. After two years passed in this wretched mode of existence, she repented sincerely and came back to Gerolstein. She chanced to lodge in the house of a good and pious widow. Encouraged by her kindness, the poor creature told her all her sad story, adding that she bitterly regretted the faults of her early life and that all she desired was to enter some religious house whereby prayer and penitence she might atone for her sins. She is only eighteen, very beautiful, and possesses a considerable sum of money, which she wishes to bestow on the convent she enters. I undertake to provide for her, said Fleur de Marie. Since she repents, she is worthy of compassion. Her remorse must be more bitter in proportion as it is sincere. I hear the Grand Duke, said the lady in waiting, without remarking Fleur de Marie's agitation. And as she spoke, Rodolphe entered, holding a large bouquet of roses in his hand. At the sight of the prince the countess retired, and scarcely had she left the apartment than Fleur-de-Marie threw herself into her father's arms and leant her head on his shoulder. "'Good morning, love,' said Rodolphe, pressing her to his heart. "'See what beautiful roses! I never saw finer ones!' And the prince made a slight motion, as if to disengage himself from her and look at her. When seeing her weeping, he threw down the bouquet and, taking her hands, cried, "'You are weeping! What is the matter?' "'Nothing, dear father,' said Fleur-de-Marie, striving to smile. "'My child,' replied Rodolph. "'you are concealing something from me. "'Tell me I entreat you. "'What thus distresses you? "'Never mind the bouquet.' "'Oh, you know how fond I am of roses. "'I always was. "'Do you recollect?' added she. "'My poor little rose-tree. "'I have preserved the pieces of it so carefully.' "'At this terrible allusion, Rodolph cried.' Unhappy child, is it possible that in the midst of all the splendor that surrounds you, you think of the past? Alas! I hoped my tenderness had made you forget it. Forgive me, dear father. I did not mean what I said. I grieve you. I grieve, my child, because I know how painful it is for you thus to ponder over the past. Dear father, it is the first time since I have been here. The first time you have mentioned it but not the first time you have thought of it. I have for a long time noticed your sadness, and was unable to account for it. My position was so delicate, though I never told you anything, I thought of you constantly. When I contracted my marriage, I thought it would increase your happiness. I did not venture to hope you would quite forget the past, but I hoped that, cherished and supported by the amiable woman whom I had chosen for my wife, you would look upon the past as amply atoned for by your sufferings. No matter what faults you had committed, they have been a thousand times expiated by the good you have done since you have been here. Father! Oh, let me tell you all, since a providential chance has brought about this conversation I at once desired and dreaded. I would, to secure your happiness, have sacrificed my affection for Madame d'Herville and my friendship for Murphy, had I thought they recalled the past to you. Oh, their presence, when they know what I was, and yet love me so tenderly, seems a proof of pardon and oblivion to me. I should have been miserable if for my sake you had renounced Madame d'Herville's hand. Oh, you know not what sacrifice Clémence herself would have made, for she was aware of the full extent of my duties to you. Duties to me? What have I done to deserve so much goodness? Until the moment that Heaven restored you to me, your life had been one of sorrow and misery— and I reproach myself with your sufferings as if I had caused them, and when I see you happy, it seems to me I am forgiven. My only wish, my sole aim, is to render you as happy as you were before unhappy, to exalt you as you have been abased, for the last trace of your humiliation must disappear when you see the noblest in the land vie with each other, who shall show you most respect. Respect to me? Oh, no! It is to my rank and not to myself they show respect.' It is to you, dear child. It is to you. You love me so much, dear father, that every one thinks to please you by showing me respect. Oh, naughty child! cried Rodolph, tenderly kissing his daughter. She will not cede anything to my paternal pride. Is not your pride satisfied at my attributing the kindness I received to you only? No, that is not the same thing. I cannot be proud of myself, but of you. You are ignorant of your own merits. In fifteen months your education has been so perfected that the most enthusiastic mother would be proud of you. At this moment the door of the salon opened and Clemence, Grand Duchess of Gerolstein, entered holding a letter in her hand. Here, love, is a letter from France, said she to Rodolphe. I brought it myself because I wished to bid good morrow to my dear child, whom I have not yet seen today. This letter arrives most opportunely. Said Rodolph. We were speaking of the past. That monster we must destroy, since he threatens the repose of our child. Is it possible that these fits of melancholy we have so often remarked were occasioned by unhappy recollections? But now that we know the enemy, we shall destroy him. From whom is this letter? asked Clémence. From Rigolette, Germain's wife. Rigolette! cried Fleur de Marie. Oh, I am so glad! Do you not fear that this letter may serve to awaken fresh recollections, said Clémence in a low tone to Rodolphe? On the contrary, I wish to destroy these recollections, and I shall doubtless find arms in this letter, for Rigolette is a worthy creature, who appreciated and adored our child. Rodolphe then read the following letter aloud. Bouqueval Farm, August fifteenth, 1841 Monseigneur I take the liberty of writing to you to communicate a great happiness which has occurred to us, and to ask of you another favour. Of you, to whom we already owe so much, or rather to whom we owe the real paradise in which we live, myself, my dear Germain, and his good mother. It is this, monseigneur. For the last ten days I have been crazy with joy, for ten days ago I was confined with such a love of a little girl, which I say is the image of Germain, He says it is exactly like me, and our dear mother says it is like us both. The fact is, it has beautiful blue eyes like Germain, and black curly hair like mine. Good worthy people, they deserve to be happy, said Rodolphe. If ever there was a couple well matched, it is they. But really, Monseigneur, I must ask your pardon for this chatter. Your ears must often tingle, Monseigneur, for the day never passes that we do not talk of you, when we say to each other how happy we are, how happy we were, for then your name naturally occurs. Excuse this blot, monseigneur, but without thinking of it, I had written Monsieur Rodolph, as I used to say formerly, and then I scratched it out. I hope you will find my writing improved as well as my spelling, for Germain gives me lessons, and I do not make those long, ugly scrawls I used to do when you mended my pens. I must confess, said Rodolph with a smile, that my little protégé makes a mistake, and I am sure Germain is more frequently employed in kissing the hand of his scholar than in directing it. My dear Duke, you are unjust, said Clémence, looking at the letter. It is rather a very large hand, but very legible. Why, yes, she really has improved, observed Rodolphe. It would in former days have taken eight pages to contain what she now writes in two. And he continued. It is quite true, you know, Monseigneur, that you used to mend my pens, and when we think of it, we two germains, we feel quite ashamed when we recollect how free from pride you were. Ah, I am again chattering instead of saying what we wish to ask of you, Monseigneur, for my husband unites with me, and it is very important, for we attach a great deal to it, as you will see. We entreat of you, Monseigneur, to have the goodness to choose for us and give us a name for our dear little daughter.' This has been the wish of the godfather and godmother, and who do you think they are, Monseigneur? Two persons whom you and the Marquise d'Herville have taken from misery and made very happy, as happy as we are. They are Morel the Lapidary and Jeanne du a worthy creature whom I met in prison when I went there to visit my dear Germain, and whom the Marquise afterwards took out of the hospital. And now, Monseigneur, you must know why we have chosen M. Morel for godfather and Jeanne du for godmother. We said it would be the one way of again thanking Monsieur Rodolphe for all his kindness, to have, as godfather and godmother, for our little one, worthy persons who owe everything to him and the Marchioness. Whilst at the same time, Morel and Jean-Dupin are the worthiest people breathing. They are of our own class in life, and besides, as we say with Germain, they are our kinsfolk in happiness, for like us, they are of the family of your protégés. Really, my dear father— This idea is most delightful and excellent, said Fleur-de-Marie, to take for godfather and godmother persons who owe everything to you and my dear second mother. Yes, indeed, dearest, said Clémence, and I am deeply touched at their remembrance. And I am very happy to find that my favors have been so well bestowed, said Rodolph, continuing his letter. With the money you gave him, Morel has now become a jewel-broker and earns enough to bring up his family very respectably. Poor Louise, who is a very good girl, is going, I believe, to be married to a very worthy young man, who loves and respects her as he ought to do, for she has been unfortunate, but not guilty, and Louise's husband, that is to be, is perfectly sensible of this. Rodolphe laid great stress on these last words, looked at his daughter for a moment, and then continued. I must add, Monseigneur, that Jeanne Duport, through the generosity of the Marquise, has been separated from her husband, That bad man who beat her and took everything from her. She has now her eldest daughter with her. They keep a small trimming shop and are doing very well. Germain writes to you regularly, Monseigneur, every month, on the subject of the bank for mechanics out of work and gratuitous loans. There are scarcely any sums in arrear, and we find already the good effects of it in this quarter. Nine at least, poor families can support themselves in the dead season of work without sending their clothes and bedding to the pawnbroker's. And when work comes in, it does one's heart good to see the haste with which they returned the money lent, and they bless you for the loans so serviceably advanced. Yes, Monseigneur, they bless you, for although you say you did nothing in this but appoint Germain, and that an unknown did this great benefit, we must always suppose it was you who founded it, as it appears to us the most natural idea. There is besides a most famous trumpet to repeat that it is you who are the real benefactor. This trumpet is Madame Pipelet, who repeats to everyone that it could be no one but her king of lodgers. Excuse her, Monsieur Rodolphe, but she always calls you so, who established such a charitable institution, and her old darling Alfred is of the same opinion. He is so proud and contented with his post as porter to the bank that he says all the tricks of Monsieur Cabrillon would not have the slightest effect on him now. Germain has read in the newspapers that Martial, a colonist of Algeria, has been mentioned with great praise for the courage he had shown in repulsing at the head of the settlers, an attack of plundering Arabs, and that his wife, as intrepid as himself, had been slightly wounded by his side, where she handled her musket like a real grenadier. Since this time, says the newspaper, she has been called Madame Carabine. Excuse this long letter, Monseigneur, but I think you will not be displeased to hear from us news of all those whose benefactor you have been. I write to you from the farm at Bouqueval where we have been since the spring with our good mother. Germain leaves us in the morning for his business and returns in the evening. In the autumn we shall return to Paris. It is so strange, Monsieur Rodolphe, that I, who could never endure the country, am now so fond of it. I suppose it is because Germain likes it so very much. As to the farm, Monsieur Rodolphe, you who know, no doubt, where the good little goualeuse is, will perhaps tell her that we very often think of her as one of the dearest and gentlest creatures in the world and that, for myself, I never think of my own happy condition without saying to myself, since M. Rodolphe was also the M. Rodolphe of dear Fleur-de-Marie, that, no doubt, she is by his kindness as happy as we are, and that makes one feel still more happy. Ah, how I chatter! What will you say to all this? But you are so good, and then you know it is your fault if I go on as long and as merrily as Papa Critu and Ramonette, who no longer have a chance with me in singing.' You will not refuse our request, will you, Monseigneur? If you will give a name to our dear little child, it will seem to us that it will bring her good fortune, like a lucky star. If I conclude by saying to you, Monsieur Rodolphe, that we try to give every assistance in our power to the poor, it is not to boast, but that you may know that we do not keep to ourselves all the happiness you have given to us. Besides, we always say to those we succor, It is not us whom you should thank and bless. It is Monsieur Rodolph." the best, most generous person in the world. Adieu, Monseigneur, and pray believe that when our dear little child begins to lisp, the first word she shall utter will be your name, Monsieur Rodolphe, and the next those you wrote on the basket which contained your generous wedding presents to me. Labour and discretion, honour and happiness. Thanks to these four words, our love and our care, we hope, Monseigneur, that our child will be always worthy to pronounce the name of him who has been our benefactor, and that of all the unfortunates he ever knew. Forgive me, Monseigneur, but I cannot finish without the big tears in my eyes. But they are tears of happiness. Excuse all errors, if you please. It is not my fault, but I cannot see very clearly, and I scribble. I have the honor to be, Monseigneur, your respectful and most grateful servant, Rigolette Germain. P.S. Ah, Monseigneur, in reading my letter over again, I see I have often written M. Rodolphe, but you will excuse me, for you know, Monseigneur, that under any and every name we respect and bless you alike. Dear little Rigolette, said Clémence, affected by the letter, how full of good and right feeling is her letter. It is indeed, replied Rodolphe. She has an admirable disposition. Her heart is all that is good. And our dear daughter appreciates her as we do, he added, addressing Fleur de Marie, when struck by her pale countenance, he exclaimed, "'But what ails you, dearest?' "'Alas, what a painful contrast between my position and that of Rigolette. "'Labor and discretion, honor and happiness, "'these four words declare all that my life has been, "'all that it ought to have been. "'A young, industrious and discreet girl, "'a beloved wife, a happy mother, "'an honored woman, such is her destiny, whilst I... "'What do you say?' "'Forgive me, my dear father, do not accuse me of ingratitude.' but in spite of your unspeakable tenderness and that of my second mother, in spite of the splendor with which I am surrounded, in spite of your sovereign power, my shame is incurable. Nothing can destroy the past. Forgive me, dear father. Until now I have concealed this from you, but the recollection of my original degradation drives me to despair, kills me. Clemence, do you hear? cried Rodolphe in extreme distress. Oh, fatality, fatality! Now I curse my fears, my silence. This sad idea, so long and deeply rooted in her mind, has, unknown to us, made fearful ravages. It is too late to contend against this sad error. Oh, I am indeed wretched. Courage, my dearest, said Clémence to Rodolph. You said but now that it is best to know the enemy that threatens us. We know now the cause of our child's sorrow, and will triumph over it because we shall have with us reason, justice, and our excessive love for her. And then she will see, too, that her affliction, if it be indeed incurable, will render ours incurable, said Rodolphe. After a protracted silence, during which Fleur de Marie appeared to recover herself, she took Rodolphe's and Clémence's hands in her own, and said in a voice deeply affected, Hear me, beloved father, and you my best of mothers. God has willed it, and I thank him for it that I should no longer conceal from you all that I feel. I must have done so shortly, and told you what I will now avow, for I could not longer have kept it concealed. Ah, now I comprehend, ejaculated Rodolphe, and there is no longer any hope for her. I hope in the future, my dear father, and this hope gives me strength to speak thus to you. And what can you hope for the future, poor child, since your present fate only causes you grief and torment?' I will tell you, but before I do so, let me recall to you the past, and confess before God who hears me, what I have felt to this time. Speak, speak. We listen, was Rodolph's reply. As long as I was in Paris with you, my dearest father, I was so happy that such days of bliss cannot be paid for too dearly by years of suffering. You see, I have at least known happiness. For some days, perhaps. "'Yes, but what pure and unmingled happiness! "'The future dazzled me. "'A father to adore, "'a second mother to cherish doubly, "'for she replaced mine whom I never knew. "'Then, for I will confess all, "'my pride was roused in spite of myself. "'So greatly did I rejoice in belonging to you. "'If then I sometimes thought vaguely of the past, "'it was to say to myself, "'I formerly so debased "'am the beloved daughter of a sovereign prince,' "'whom everybody blesses and reveres. "'I, formerly so wretched, "'now enjoy all the splendors of luxury "'and an existence almost royal. "'Alas! my father, my good fortune was so unlooked for. "'Your power surrounded me with so much brilliancy "'that I was, perhaps, excusable "'in allowing myself to be thus blinded. "'Excusable? "'Nothing could be more natural, my angelic girl.' What was there wrong in being proud of a rank which was your own, in enjoying the advantages of a position to which I had restored you? I remember at this time you were so delightfully gay, and said to me in accents I never can again hope to hear, Dearest father, this is too, too much happiness. Unfortunately, it was these recollections that begat in me this deceitful security. End of Epilogue, Chapter 2, Part 1, read by Céline Major.